welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence so we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we'll chat with Jessica Kaiser about her path to becoming a patent attorney. Before going to law school, Jessica graduated from the Colorado School of Mines with a degree in metallurgical and materials engineering and worked for five years as an engineer, primarily in the oil and gas industry. After law school, Jessica clerked at both the district court level and at the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit and worked as an associate and partner at a large international firm, focusing her practice on patent litigation. She then went in-house and to the Office of General Counsel at the Federal Circuit before joining the Patent Trial and Appeal Board as an administrative patent judge, serving as an APJ for over seven years and working closely with USPTO and PTAB leadership in developing and implementing PTAB reforms. Jessica returned to private practice in 2022 at Arnold & Porter K. Scholler LLP, where she advises clients in complex intellectual property disputes. Jessica, thank you so much for talking to you. And one of the things that I really enjoy, I really have a lot of respect for you, is when I met you at the diversity uh, breakfast at the PTAP Bar Association in 2022. I remember that I asked a question, a poll, basically, about PTAP Whisper. So I went around the table and asking people, I'm very good at polling, but not always good at giving opinion. And I remember you specifically, it was like, so what do you think about PTAP Whisperer? I was like, I'm just polling. She was like, you cannot poll without giving an opinion. And taking that cue, I said, okay, well, I'll just give my opinion. I'm very good at like prompts, but not necessarily offering opinion. So I did really appreciate you making it a very comfortable place for me to express my opinion. And that's why I like you so much. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. You know, I think that's not uncommon, um, you know, if we're talking stereotypically about women um, professionals. So we tend to be better listeners sometimes than we do at being assertive with our own opinion. And if I'm honest, I don't really specifically remember prompting you for your own opinion. But I'm glad that I did, because I think it's really important to hear all the voices and to not sit on the sidelines. And so the more we encourage each other to do that, I think the better. Exactly. It's actually good that you did not remember that you're prompting me, which means that that was authentic and genuine. So it was like the heat of the moment. Why don't you speak? Well, and it's so funny because that conference came within the first couple weeks of my return to private practice. And so I was very, very new at having the private practice perspective and mm. just really sort of hungry for input and connection and all those things. So I think it was uh, it was nice that you and I got to meet each other in that space when I was very, very new. Well, I'm pretty new in that space uh, because I'm not an attorney. I've supported PTAP practitioners since 2014. I've been a litigation paralegal for over 22 years or so. So not strange to the field, but it is a little bit unique perspective because from a paralegal perspective, the support perspective, we've seen a lot. 
but I always felt really welcome, and I really do enjoy and like you hungry hungry for the private perspective. I'm just hungry for perspectives. So yeah. let's get started. How did you choose to become a patent attorney, and do you think you picked the right path? So I'll sort of start with with your second question first. I try to avoid um, thinking about things as being the right path or not the right path. I can sort of look back over my career and my personal life and there's the path. You make choices along the way. They lead you to other things. And I feel like I feel very content with the path that I have chosen along the way that has led me to become a patent attorney. So I don't I don't think there really is a right path. I think it's more of a journey. It really does not have a destination. And it's sort of like you may be able to take like detours. Maybe this is a trick question. (laughs) So some people (laughs) was like, well, I definitely think that I picked the right path. It's like, hmm. So for my own interview, when people were asking me, it's like, I don't think I'm finished yet. (laughs) No, and I I don't think I'm finished either, for sure. But, you know, I've always loved solving problems. That to me keeps me motivated and keeps me intellectually interested in the work. And, you know, and that can be any kinds of problems, technical problems, business problems, and of course, legal problems, since uh, I have chosen to be a lawyer. So I like solving problems and I like new challenges. And I feel like being a patent attorney gives you those things basically every day. You know, it can be... uh, a new case where you have to learn about a new technology. Um, I've had the the pleasure throughout my career of working on all kinds of different technologies, computer technologies, life sciences-based technologies, medical devices. Um, And so learning new technologies and figuring out how to explain them to different audiences is one of the challenges of being a patent attorney that I really enjoy. Looking at different legal issues, thinking about the strategy between arguments in different forums. So a lot of times now as patent practitioners, you have a dispute that's in front of the PTAB, um, but also potentially uh, a patent infringement litigation district court or in the ITC, the International Trade Commission. So thinking about the strategy between those different forums. And so I got to the right place of being a patent attorney because it's a job that constantly challenges you, keeps you on your toes, and makes you constantly think about difficult problems. So besides being a patent guru, can you tell us three things that define Jessica Kaiser? Yeah, so you, uh, you had sent me this question beforehand, and I think it's always tricky when someone asks you, what are the things that define you? Because it makes you really think about what makes you tick, how you perceive yourself, and how other people perceive you. So as I thought through this, I mean, one very obvious one to me was family. I have two wonderful children. I have a husband that I've been married to for my entire adult life for 26 years. And I very much enjoy spending time with them, having adventures with them playing board games and being with each other, Um, but also just being with my extended family and a group of friends who have become family. You know, I think the time that I spend with the folks closest to me are a big part of what defines me. The, The second thing I thought of was humor. 
I love making jokes. I have a very dry, sarcastic sense of humor that not everyone gets necessarily until they get to know me a little bit better. But I think it's important, especially because being a lawyer and being a patent lawyer can be such a serious, intense job that taking the edge off with humor, um, lightening the mood when things start to feel very heavy, that's a big part of who I am as well. And then the third aspect that uh, that I thought about for this question was having what I'll call a no-quit attitude. A few years ago, I got very involved with endurance sports, did a, a full Ironman triathlon, I ran a 50K, maybe, maybe a little obsessive about the whole thing. Uh, but one thing I really learned about myself through that process was I think it's true of me and it's true of a lot of people. You have more mental toughness than you give yourself credit for. And so when things get hard, you can choose to carry on instead of giving up. And I think that's become a huge part of what defines me as well as that no quit attitude. So grit basically. Grit. Yeah. Grit, <laughs> resilience, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I read like Angela Duckworth spoke on grit. You know, I'm Chinese immigrant and uh, my parents, I witnessed them with a really severe amount of grit because not speaking English and starting in a foreign land, basically. And I remember when they were, <laughs> it was funny, but uh, maybe not to them, when they had to apply and uh, take the citizenship test to get naturalized. So my parents used to run a Chinese restaurant in Lawrence, Kansas. And I remember that I was a sort of a poli-sci major. So obviously I understand the questions and stuff like that. But my parents, you know, had to get them like cassette tapes at the time and basically play the questions, you know, and it was like, how many senators are there in, you know, in the United States? How many representatives are in the House of Representatives? So they had to learn all of those things. and. And they passed. So we're all U.S. citizens. And my brother, my youngest brother, didn't have to do take the test. He lucked out because my parents took the test and he was underage at the time. So he did not have to take the test, but got naturalized. But that was like pure grit. Yeah. Like seven days a week. When I was a student, like Mother's Day, graduation day, when I was growing up, those are the days that super busy at the restaurant. So when on weekends, people were like, when are you going to come out to, you know, basically just hang out with us? I'm like, no, got to work. And we were in a college town. So sometimes the customers will rat on me when I go out and play because they would tell my parents, like, <laughs> oh, your daughter did not come to work because she was at like, you know, other places. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was kind of tough. But I think like for them, they really did everything that they could but because I grew up in a college town I actually got to know many professors so I think intellectual curiosity wise it was much more of the academic community that helped me grow and my parents given you know gave me the work ethics you know because you kind of have to do it (laughs) yeah and I had like this Japanese American woman and her um her lay husband I mean she's passed already but her husband was like a really big pharmacology professor and they had building name after him too you know in the, at, on the campus 
And she just took such an interest in me. And whenever she came to the restaurant, I would be the person that served that table. And it would be like a whole table of Japanese scholar. And for some reason, she just treated me as her granddaughter. She had plenty of grandkids, but she just really took an interest in me and treated me as a granddaughter. So even after I graduated, she gave me a scholarship to study as a paralegal. I was already working at a construction litigation firm, but then I wanted to do more. And so she was like, go find out, go find out what program you want and then uh, let me know. It was really interesting. Then she just wrote me a check, sent me a check. She was like, okay, you are going to do this. And uh, this is my sponsorship for you. And I had a hard time accepting it because I don't like accepting gifts from people, but I like giving gifts. <laughs> you love giving gifts. I, I think it's it, a Chinese culture. Yeah, it's in really the time different. I've known you, I, I definitely know that you you love giving gifts. And I am actually really good uh, gift giver in terms of like, I, I'm very thoughtful that way. Yeah. You know, I'm very yeah. creative and stuff like that. So anyway, I uh, actually did a lot to help me. She was like 80 at the time, and she really was a pioneer woman that helped me understand the hardship of Asian American in the academic community. Because her husband was, you know, for a Japanese American that basically get to the top of their field. And she told me so many stories that were like really tough, but they persevered. It was, again, grit. So that was really really helpful I would I had really amazing people along the way that helped me up so I love your answer so I just wanted to share that with you no I appreciate that I, I love those stories and I do think there you know we talked about paths before there are always people that you can look at along your your path or your journey who gave you that little extra push you know and you can think gosh if i if i didn't have a relationship with that person or if i hadn't met that person would i have ended up in the same place so i, I like hearing your stories about those people for you i have a lot of people that actually i wasn't sure exactly why at the time that people were like taking such an interest in me and like helping me and which is one of the reasons why um, I really wanted to do use VPG as a vehicle to help other people. So I have a couple of young women, many women, but a couple of them that I really do enjoy watching them grow um, because it's pretty special to be able to be to take that position and help someone have a different experience in their formative years. Yeah before they are completely tainted by society. (laughs) (laughs) Before they've become old and jaded. Well, I just love our conversation. So let's get to the next one. How do you feel about being a PTAP practitioner? And where would you like to see women practitioners in patent litigation and PTAP in the future? Loaded question. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I, I love being a PTAP practitioner. So as you know, I was a PTAB judge for seven and a half years. Uh, I I was also in private practice before that um, at a different law firm. And the last time I was in private practice, the AIA proceedings in front of the PTAB were just getting started. Mm -hmm. And so until going back into private practice this last year, most of my PTAB experience 
was actually as an administrative patent judge. And so, you know, of course, that's a different perspective. That's the perspective of, you know, calling balls and strikes and being a neutral decision maker. So it has been a really interesting experience to go back and now view those proceedings as an advocate. Um, But for all the reasons I talked about before about loving solving problems, you know, I really like practicing in front of the PTAB. It's a very intellectual pursuit because you really have to be, you have to dive deep into the technology. You have to be very clear in your explanations in front of the PTAB as an advocate. And so I, I just really like all of that. On your question about where I would like to see women practitioners in patent litigation and PTAB, I think that's kind of a loaded question because the answer is basically everywhere. You know, the the the, the PTAB Bar Association did a study um, that hopefully people in this space are well acquainted with that showed that only about 12% of uh, attorney appearances before the PTAB are women. And I think by any metric that that seems extraordinarily low. Um, almost lower than you would expect, although I think those of us in this space aren't surprised by the numbers being low generally. But I think we're really seeing women take a prominent role in leadership around this space with the current USPTO director, with the newly sworn in commissioner for patents. You see women across the leadership in the PTAB itself, in the, the management organization of the PTAB. I worked with a lot of amazing women judges at the PTAB. It was always a fun thing when we end up with a panel that was all women judges. I always kind of made a mental note of that. And then since I've been in Bracken private practice, just making such fun connections with other women PTAB practitioners like you, like the people I've met from being involved in the leadership of the Women's Committee, the PTAB Bar Association. So I think we continue to grow our ranks. We continue to um, mentor the next generation of diverse PTAB practitioners. But I guess the the short answer is everywhere. I love it. (laughs) You know, if we want to have the women practitioners everywhere, do you have any recommendations on how to make that more accessible? to women practitioners in the PTAB or litigation space. I think LEAP is an amazing program for young practitioners. What would we do? Like sometimes, for example, before LEAP, and I think that traditionally oral argument is by like the LEAP council, and predominantly that will be more men than women. But um, I think the landscape has changed a little bit. Um, So I would like to hear your recommendation. This is partly a a burden that falls on those of us who are at higher levels, you know, people who are partners in law firms, people who are decision makers uh, in-house at companies, really being willing to mentor those younger um, diverse attorneys who are interested in in practicing before the PTAB or, or doing patent litigation and finding opportunities for them. You talked about the LEAP program. 
my law firm has a great shadow program where, you know, we we try and give more junior attorneys opportunities to observe things or be a part of things relatively early in their career where um, a client might not necessarily, you know, want to spend money for two attorneys, but we're investing in our young attorneys. So we um, give them billable credit, even if we can't actually bill that time. So those sorts of programs that really give experience. And then I think, you know, lawyers are known for wanting to let go of control. I think, I think we tend to be more on the control freak side of the spectrum, probably. And so being willing to develop trust with those junior associates so that you can give up some of that control and let them go and, and do these arguments, I think is is important. And just recognizing that that we as more senior people need to be willing to do that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I found myself just having been in the litigation space, working with attorneys, top practitioner for like 20 some years. I found myself very risk averse, especially when I first came out. It was really difficult for me. I, I, I tend to see things very black and white. And so gray is not a very familiar area for me, but being a business owner and minority woman, you know, that is like coming out to do something that is basically supporting pre-tap practitioners. Because at first I was like, I, I know a lot. You know, I know how to do district court. Don't want to do ITC cases because it's really not great for my mental health. <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot of respect for all those who can actually do it and do it well. But I just decided ITC is not a space for me. But PTAP, for some reason, I mean, even though both are like administrative hearings, because ITC is also administrative, but I ended up really loving the PTAP space. And I haven't really done, I managed not to have to do like any patent prosecution related stuff for my career because I like the litigation. I think I'm masochistic, but (laughs) I like the strategy. I like the dynamic. And I don't want to just keep doing the tedious paperwork. You know, I, I want changes, you know? So I think that's why I like litigation. And somehow, I think in 2014 was when I first had a dip in uh, PTAP and someone trained me on this. And then I just ended up really like it. I was a good problem solver too. (laughs) I I got that grit from my parents. And then so I was like, oh, okay, well, I can probably do this pretty well. And when I came out to start my own business, I thought I'm going to do anything. And then... I haven't touched district court cases in the three years I have been here. I mean, pulling pleadings is one thing, but I don't want to deal with all the confidentiality. I I just want to develop a niche. And it ended up being really amazing. And I was able to really support other people and met amazing folks like you. And um, I just got off of an annual conference committee that we were... I mean, people work really hard to put on a good conference and there was just so much collegial spirit and yeah. I love that. At the beginning, I think it's more me, more of me being self-conscious. When I first joined the committee, I was a little bit uncomfortable because I'm not an attorney. And so I didn't know exactly how I'm going to be like integrate. 
and whether it's going to be whether I'm going to be treated as sort of like for the lack of better word a sort of a secondary citizen but I didn't really have that feeling and so I really do like the PTAP Bar Association for that and I mean, practitioners like you just treat me as one of the other practitioners. I mean, obviously, I would always disclose because we don't want to have any UP out here. But <laughs> I always do that. I mean, like literally when I said black and white, it's like, okay, you know that I'm not an attorney, right? And so that is something I think the long term, the training by profession, you always want to disclose to the public. So, so there's not any ambiguity. But I really enjoy this day. So that was pretty amazing. You know, just to play off of what you just said, I do think the PTAB bar is a very collegial bar. By bar, I mean people who are are involved in it. Not to say just attorneys, but the folks who practice in front of the PTAB, I think tend to be, um, if I compare against, you know, the broader bar in patent litigation space, you know, I find working with opposing counsel on the PTAB space, and I think it is is just tends to be a more collegial and collaborative experience. And I think some of that is the way that the PTAB is set up to allow for stipulations to change certain due dates and things like that, meet and confer requirements before you reach out to the board, those kind of things. Um it just always feels to me like a space where people aren't going into things, angling for a fight, if you will. They're much yeah. less contentious. Like in litigation, I've seen so many, like, why are we, you know, it's like throwing a motion to compel on January 2nd. <laughs> you know? right. It's like, why are you doing this? Right. You know? <laughs> I think that's why I like the PTAP space a little bit. It's, you can actually focus more on the technology versus less on litigation tactics. And I agree with that. I, I will say, unlike you, I have definitely, even just in the short time I've been back in private practice, done both. So um, I've been very involved in district court litigations as well. You, you probably know after judges leave the PTAB, we have a one-year bar before we can actually appear in front of the agency. And so um, that's given me some more time to hone my, my district court skills again. So I've done things like taken and defended expert in fact depositions. I went and argued Markman hearing in Marshall, Texas. And so, you know, I, I've sort of, and I've had a lot of those moments where I'm like, oh, well, you don't have to worry about that in front of the PTAB, but here's a good reminder that you do in district court litigation. So I, I've definitely had both experiences and I like doing both personally because of the strategy pieces that we talked about before. Because if you're working on both, you have a sense of, okay, well, if we make this argument in front of the PTAB, how is that going to affect the district court litigation? So I, I find both to be really interesting and rewarding, but I do really, really like the bar um, and the, the people who practice in front of the PTAB. Yeah. Oh, what do I do for fun? All kinds of things. I mean, I love Hello Kitty, you know, cafe. <laughs> yeah, I took my 10-year-old to the Hello Kitty cafe in Irvine in, uh, in December, which was so fun. No, I love to travel. Um, I love to spend time with my family. We love to play board games and watch movies together. Uh, during the pandemic, we actually uh, decided we were going to watch all the Marvel movies. Oh, wow. So, um, every every week, we would all go down to the basement and watch a Marvel movie together, make popcorn, all that kind of stuff. You know, but I think the balance between work and wellness is always a challenge when you have a demanding job. 
So I mentioned endurance sports earlier. That was something that kind of fell by the wayside for me when I went back into private practice. And now I'm in the process of working to get back in shape to make time for that. So I think it's always a a bit of a struggle to make sure that your life doesn't go out of balance one way or another, but that you kind of figure out how to take care of yourself, take care of others, take care of your career. Which is so important. What are some of the key lessons learned you would like to share with our audience? You know, one I thought about was being willing to take chances. I think it's so easy to get comfortable with what you know that you're good at and to sort of just hunker down in that space. But one thing I thought about here, do you know the movie Kung Fu Panda? Yes. (laughs) So I'm a huge fan of Kung Fu Panda And one of my favorite quotes from that movie is um, Master Shifu says, if you only do what you can do, you'll never be more than you are now. If you think about that, that's such a powerful statement. It's so easy to stay, like I was saying before, with what you're comfortable with. But if you only do that, you'll never stretch and grow. And so being willing to take chances gives you the opportunity to develop new skills, to figure out that you're good at stuff you didn't even know you were good at. So that's a piece of advice I I give to myself a lot, honestly, um, but that I, I think is important to share. Another one is I think it's really important to find the people that are your people, right? The audience can't see me giving air quotes, but your people. We talked about this a little bit before when I was talking about family, you know, human connection is so important for feeling fulfilled in our personal lives, but also in our professional lives. And so finding the people to surround yourself with who energize you, who support you and who you do the same for can make such a difference. And I've been very fortunate even in the short time I've been at my new firm, to find quite a number of other IP attorneys who I've developed that kind of relationship with. And then the last one that I had for this question was to remember that your reputation is really one of the most important resources that you have. And so you really never know in this profession, in the legal profession, when the person who is your opposing counsel today might be your co-counsel later, or might be in-house counsel at your client someday. Um, And to me, that's just like a good reminder. But, you know, I always try and be a nice and kind person. I just think it's hard for me to behave any other way. But, you know, it's important to remember that how you treat people matters and people remember how you treated them. Absolutely. Those are really words of wisdom. I think there's a reason why we get along. So the first the first one that you were talking of is basically nothing venture, nothing gained. Yeah. You know, and for someone that is so risk averse, that's actually my the model that I adapted from one of my professors. He was a Harvard Law graduate. He was my he was a co-chair of my thesis. And then he was like remote advising me. Really amazing. He kept telling me, actually, you need to go to law school. I was like, no. I ended up going to grad school. If I just listened to everything my parents would do in terms of their teaching, I would be a very submissive person. Mm. So in terms of questioning things, not necessarily questioning people, I think Ty, who was my professor, actually did help foster that, you know, just keep questioning things. And nowadays there's, uh, who is this, Adam Grant, 
organization of psychologists who does Think Again, Rethinking podcast. Amazing stuff. I, one of the things that when I started VPG, I ended up having a whole lot of time to read and listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Sure. And I just really find that what helped me gain some mental balance, because when I was in a li- with a litigation schedule, I barely had time to finish my work. Right. You know, so it's like I cannot really, I, I feel like that I didn't have that luxury to do that. But now it's like I, w- I could do, go do walking, although I do need to go back and start work, walk again. Uh, <laughs> use all kinds of excuses not to do it, but I need to do it again. Um, I don't know. It's just really an amazing opportunity that I get to start this podcast. I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, people who, who go off on their own and start their own businesses are amazing to me because I think that must have felt like such a risk in the beginning. But you're so amazing at making connections with people that it's almost like I can't imagine a world where you wouldn't be successful. So I really enjoyed getting to know you and and see that. You know, in in your characterization of nothing ventured, nothing gained, I think one of the things I think about is, you know, sometimes people are so afraid to raise their hand. And so you see circumstances where someone says, okay, who wants to go take this assignment? And if you're a quiet, sort of thoughtful introvert, a lot of times you're like, hmm, no, because, you know, that sounds sounds scary. I don't want to do that. And so to me, it's almost like just take the risk, do something new, try something new, volunteer to do something that you're not comfortable doing. And and I feel like that's, you know, been a huge part of me going back into private practice. I don't know if you ever read the book. I think it's called The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Uh, I, I listened to it as an audiobook and I really enjoyed it, but it's sort of just this idea that instead of, you know, when something makes you feel uncomfortable, you say, saying no, just saying yes and just doing it. And so much of my year this year, this last year mm. out of the government was just sort of saying yes to everything. Like, do you want to come talk on this panel? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, do you want to go to this conference? Yes. You know, do you want to go uh to the middle of the country and take an inventor deposition absolutely so you know all these things of just sort of saying yes putting yourself out there and having faith that it will uh work out in the end i think has been a big part of my last year so i'll tell you a funny story of how i prep myself for this podcast but like what you see how you see yourself a lot of time mm-hmm. is not how other people see you and of course, when your friends tell you, it's like, oh, they're not telling you the truth because they are your friends, right? So I had to to prepare for this podcast. What I had to do is I ended up giving myself the biggest challenge. Last year in November, I ended up interviewing a um, brand strategist. Uh, he was a TEDx speaker. He owned his own company. He's a brand. He's a branding expert. Sasha Stroud is his name. And I could have given, I mean, he's a, you know, he's big in the, in the space. So I could, I took his webinar and we connected. I guess one of the things is like, I'm very persistent. If you have to use Mm. the name, I would just keep asking and asking. And that's a nothing venture, nothing gain. And one time he asked me, do you, can I help you with your vision? So I'm like, I haven't developed one yet. <laughs> you know, I need to figure out exactly what I want. 
but I invited him to uh, a virtual water cooler chat. And that was just something that I came up in the middle of pandemic because I didn't yeah. want to use that, uh, you know, coffee or anything like that for wellness reason, right? So I was like, oh, virtual water cooler chat. People don't go into the office. Now they can just do it virtually. So I invited him. And for many other virtual water cooler chat, I would actually invite practitioners to go speak because I wasn't confident enough that I could carry on that conversation. But then for this one, I was like, hey, I'm going to have to start a podcast. Might as well start now. I don't think he's going to let me fail. So all four. Uh, Ed, who is Simon Sinek, does not like to use the word fail. Falling is better, you know, because yeah. fall, you can get up. Yeah. And um, so I invited him and he was like, of course, we did the prep. And um, and I told Caitlin, I said, why are you going to do this LinkedIn and Facebook Live? And she was like, are you sure? I'm like, yep, I'm sure. Because as a business owner, as a minority woman, doesn't really matter. I have to be comfortable in the space. Yes. If not, who else is going to, I mean, I don't need everybody to come and hire me because I want to have my wellness, my wellness <laughs> and work-life balance, right? So I would say yeah. no to people. But that was the one that I was petrified before we got on. But once you turn on the LinkedIn and the Facebook Live, I was a- able to carry on a conversation. And because of that, I, was, I always said that, oh, I did not tank. So now, <laughs> so now I have done probably about nine or 10 interviews already. And nice. this is only what, January 24th? You know, yeah. we started in December. I have done 10 interviews already. Wow. And this has been so fun. And I'm like, you know what? Even if I, like, you know, for this, we, we can, you know, it, it's just getting to know people and knowing there are other people that are maybe just as nervous as you are. And then having that common ground and encourage each other and letting people have their voice. And I think that's what virtual water cooler chat is about. So for that, that's wonderful. So yeah, I really appreciate you having me. This has been a a super fun conversation. I hope that we'll get to do it again in the future. Great. Thank you so much, Jessica.